2: I don't know about everyone listening, but after a long day of work, I just need to come home to a nice, refreshing tallboy to ease my stress. I actually just had three or four last night, if I'm being honest. No, not those tallboys. A refreshing tall can of liquid death was exactly what I needed. If you've noticed a new tallboy can in the water section that looks like a beer or an energy drink, it's actually liquid death, a mountain spring water from the Alps that comes in still, sparkling, or in three different flavors. Try the lime, trust me. Why is the water called liquid death, you ask? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. There's just something special about grabbing an ice-cold can of liquid death, hearing the pop when you open it, and quenching your thirst with the best-tasting still or sparkling water on the market. I honestly could not go back to bottles even if I wanted to. As I mentioned, I can't recommend the Sparkling Lime Liquid Death enough. It has the perfect lime flavor to go with a crisp, refreshing finish. It's also the best water to mess with just about everyone you know, as they probably think you're chugging a beer in your car or a work meeting at about 9 a.m. Seriously, guys, check this product out. I've been absolutely loving it, and I know you will too. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com packaday. That's liquiddeath.com packaday. Minutes a day.
1: 365 days a year. This
2: is the Pack A Day Podcast. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. It is Friday, so you know what that means. I am joined by the one and only Mike Wall. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Wall68. Mike, it's been a little bit of a rough week from a, a Packers standpoint. A lot of takes out there. But before we get into all of that, how the heck are you doing?
3: Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks as always for having me.
2: Yeah, you bet, man. So as I mentioned, uh, we, we've, I think we've exhausted in Packer land every take there is to have of what's wrong with the Packers. It's been a rough week. I do want to talk about some positives before we get there. I do want to get your overarching take. Let's just say you're given the keys to the car. You're you're taking over 1265. You get to put the, the coach's hat on and you can make a couple changes just based on what you've seen so far. I'm going to let you have the floor. What are some things that are bothering you? What are some changes that you would like to see made with the Packers right now? So I'll just give you one
3: on offensive defense. Offensively, okay. I'm going to feature Aaron Jones as often as possible. I think he is the biggest playmaker we have aside from number 12, obviously. Um, he can uh, he can effectively improve the performances of all the offensive linemen, the tight ends that are blocked, that are being you know, asked to block. Uh, he can effectively improve the performances of, of the wide receivers. He has that ability right now because he's playing at such a high level. So I want to utilize him in the run game, in the pass game. I want the ball in, in Aaron Jones's hands, in a, in a position to be successful as often as possible until they absolutely force you to do something else. And then we can kind of unleash some of the threats that we have in the passing game and defensively. I think we have seven first rounders on defense and yep. then we have some, we have some big money free agents and whatnot. I would like to see first round players being put in a position to make first round plays. Like, I actually I, I I talk about this a lot. It was a Ben Burdell break defense. It was in vogue in 2021 in the national football league. And it just feels like right now, we are playing 10 yards off the ball in some sort of too high shell defense over and over and over again people can dink and dunk as much as they want and they're getting to this they're getting to these positions where listen if you want to play soft the entire game you better gang tackle you better be you better make some athletic plays you better be like peanut Tillman and knock the ball out. We yeah. don't do any of that. I want our first round players to make first round plays and I'm talking specifically about the secondary and just so you know Andy everybody out there knows i do not think it's their fault i think this is how they're being coached and i think that is a problem
2: i could not agree more i think there's a divorce between the what these players do best and what they're being asked to do i've said it all week there's there's no cam chancellor there's no peanut tillman on this defense that's you know forcing the ball out that's crushing defenders as they come across the middle uh, Adrian Amos, fine tackler. Darnell Savage, he's on the smaller side. Alexander on the smaller side. Douglas, good tackler. Um, Eric Stokes, not the most physical guy in the world. That's, you know, uh, outside of Razul. Like Razul, I would say, is probably an above average tackler for his position. I would say Amos is probably around average. Um, and then I think everyone else is below average. Like if you're going to play a rally to the football and, and tackle defensive backfield, you better have rally to the football and, and tackle defensive backs. And they don't. And I think it's the thing that's frustrating is you look at Jair Alexander. I think he's probably the, the perfect example, but I think you could say the same thing about Stokes and Douglas as well. Um, I'm not saying anyone can just play zone off coverage. And obviously, we just talked about a specific skill set that you need to have, but you don't need to pay a top tier cover corner like Jair Alexander the highest money in the world if you're going to be playing 12 yards, 14 yards off of a practice squad wide receiver that they called up during the week. You could have found, you know, some guy off the practice squad probably to do that and come up and tackle. And you're not putting Jai Alexander in, in a position where his skills are actually used to the best of his ability. So I, I could not agree more with you. There's a divorce between what the talent does well on this team and what they're actually being asked to do, and it's it's unconscionable. I, I don't get it. It's it's frustrating.
3: Yeah, we we talked about this briefly off air last year. Special teams is an issue for multiple years. Special teams was an issue. They have Bisacci now. He's a culture changer on special teams. Yep. Now we're kind of going into this void of performance with the defense. And the defense has not been a top five defense for the last couple of years. But we have top five talent, particularly this year. If you look on paper, this is a top five defense. If they are not performing to the level that they should, there's really only one place you can look. Right. It's and I'm not talking necessarily about the coaching staff, but I am talking about the culture that's in that room that is led either by players or by the coaching staff. Now, when zadarius Smith was here, the first year he was here, at least, he set the culture in that room in particular. He changed this, he changed this team for the better because he what what he brought on the field, but also in the locker room. I don't know if they've replaced that. It doesn't look like they've replaced that. And it doesn't look to me like the coaching staff is demanding what needs to be uh, or they're not holding accountable or allowing people to grow and develop in the manner of which is representative of a top five defense. We have guys that are playing really well. We talk about Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith played well in the run game at times. Uh, Devonary Campbell's not the same guy that he was last year. I don't know why that is. We've got some new kids. You know, Quay Walker is not going to be what he's going to be in three years from now. But if we're looking at the, Defensive, secondary, they are, to me, they're, they're being muzzled and it just doesn't make a lot of sense.
2: It does not. And my concern is you mentioned last year with the special teams and needing that, a culture change. They didn't do anything about it in season. I think everyone was driven mad by that, that indecision and that in, indifference to the to special teams. And then it surprised all of nobody when you get to a divisional round game against the San Francisco 49ers and special teams cost you the game. And this cannot be a situation. and I'm not necessarily calling for for Joe Barry's dismissal or anything like that here. But I also don't think you can wait until the playoffs and this uh, this entire like need of a culture change or need of a shock to the system goes on. And then you're like, well, you know, you let them go in the off season and then you bring in somebody and then you finally get that culture change. Like they don't have the ability to wait that long. They they've got to be better sooner than that. I don't know that there's anyone on the staff currently. Like I know Jerry gray has defensive uh, you know, coordinator experience he, that doesn't seem like the, the secondary right now can't communicate correctly. So like that doesn't exactly give me the greatest vote of confidence in the world that like, you're like Hey, let's make him defensive coordinator. Um, and I don't know of anyone else on the staff that all of a sudden could step into that position, but um, I don't know. I don't know where you go, but like they can't wait until the offseason to make that 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 change or a change and uh, and have this fester throughout the season and have it cost you again at the end of the line.
3: And Andy, it's a complete all it is is a mindset shift. It's not like we're not saying anybody's incompetent in the room. That's not what we're saying. Yep. What we're saying is and I'll just give you an example from my my previous my previous life. I've been in buildings where coaches like running backs, coaches, for example, don't have the running backs meeting with the Offensive line on blitz pickup, and then they go out onto the field on a Sunday and they give up four sacks because they're in the wrong position. And this happens. And Andy, it happens week after week. Yep. Somebody, probably not affiliated with the running backs of the offensive line, the you offense know, in general, goes, "Maybe you guys should meet and communicate. Maybe this is something that should be added to your routine so that we can all be on the same page." It seems like the most obvious thing in the world. But sometimes the most obvious things in the world, when you're right in the middle of it, aren't that obvious. And it seems like right now that's what's happened. That's what happened last year. That's what's happening right now. And they need, whether, I don't know, if it's, do we need a director of culture or something to kind of keep tabs on these situations so that we can be a little more forthright or, or a little more um, uh, non-reactionary? You know, uh, not reactionary, but proactive in, yep. in as far as nipping these things in the bud before they become a problem.
2: Yeah, and it just whatever the that is, whatever however that communication takes place, it just feels like there's too many like overall smart people in the building to not recognize that there has to be a change with how they play defense because this isn't going to work. If it listen, if you gotta like if you just went and all due respect to Bailey Zappi and Daniel Jones and the weapons that they had on those two teams, but if this didn't work against that those two teams defensively. Uh, what is it going to look like when it's Josh Allen? What is it going to look like when it's some of the better teams in the league? So um, they've got to make a change in some capacity because this, this style of defense is very clearly not working and living up to the expectations we had going into the season.
3: I'll give you something. that It's kind of just sits with me as a former player. So I I think it multiple times this week, I think, I think it was, I'm pretty sure coach LeFour had comments about needing to do more from a defensive secondary standpoint. Kind of we need to call these we need to do players need to do this and coaches need to do that. Yep. And then we talked about and then we flip it on the other side and go, our, you know, our AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones combination touched the ball 19 times. We need to, you know, we need to do, I need to do a better job of that. Right. And when when these things are happening, and now they're happening kind of at multiple levels. And we kind of take Persace and now and you know Rich Persace and put him aside and go, okay, he's kind of he's kind of the head coach yeah. of that group, right? So yeah. now we look at it over here and go, these people are, you know, this is the head coach of the defense. You're the head coach of the offense and the team, but really offense and defense. And you go, okay, if you as the head coach are now coming to an awareness level after losing to the Giants in London to Daniel Jones, that that is cause for pause for me. That, that is not, That's not what I'm looking for as a former Green Bay Packer.
2: I hear you loud and clear, and I couldn't agree with you more. I want to go back to that offensive side of the ball because you mentioned something on Twitter and I agree with that. I think I commented on it as well, uh, but it seems like there is a, a new NFL. When you were in the NFL, as you mentioned, if a running back's getting five yards per carry, uh, they would give it to him over and over and over and over and over and over until the opposing team stopped him. That was the, that was the tendency and that was just what kind of drove success. Now you've got players, uh, certainly Aaron Jones being one of them, who I think is over six yards per carry, or at least in that vicinity. And they're struggling to get him the ball, which seems absurd. Uh, but there has obviously been a, a change in dynamic. What, what have you seen overall in the NFL? And do you think it's the right trend or is it still a bit absurd to you? I hate it. <laughs> I, know, I knew your answer, but I had to ask anyway.
3: So what's generally happened is the tight end position has changed into a slot receiver. And so what we do now more often than not is you see a lot of 12 personnel in the games now, right? You see a ton of two tight end sets, but a lot of teams are still playing two tight end sets as nickel defense because these guys can't block, right? So it might as well be 11 personnel. And so what that means is these, these uh, running backs are seeing five, Six, sometimes seven man boxes. I mean, God forbid you saw a seven man box. Now. I mean, Andy, Ammon Green, and I will watch a game, and we'll count the number of five man boxes that that AJ or Aaron gets, or six man boxes. We never. I mean, in the third and eight, we'd get a six man box. That's it. We never even get a five man box. And so the the numbers just are so favorable in the offense because a lot of these defenses are playing. That bend but don't break defense, and when you do that, you allow for five yards of carry, six yards of carry. You know, some games good seven and a half yards of carry. These things are possible. And what baffles me is, you can get down to the twenty yard line, essentially, running Aaron Jones every single play, right? And maybe you have a holding call, and I mean, the defense is basically hoping that you have a holding call, and yep. and you're getting third and long, and all of a sudden you you know you're you're on your situation where you have to go into your bag of tricks, but if all things are operated are operating well, you can run Aaron Jones to the twenty yard line every time and, and just say, "Hey, our field goal is our floor and our touchdown is our ceiling." And for whatever reason, you know, teams just don't want to do that. I had a coach. I had a coach back in the day. We we're playing Peyton Manning. We were on a third string quarterback. Indianapolis Colts are coming into uh, Carolina. Offensive corner stands up in front of us and goes, "I am one hundred percent sure." That if we run the ball every single play tomorrow, we will win the game. And he just looks and he cuts, puts a smile on his face. He goes, "Problem is, I just can't do it. So we're gonna have to throw it." And that's kind of the name of the game And the off- like offensive coordinators, play callers. They don't get famous for running the football, or they. It's kind of happening now. But you get famous for those great schemes. You make the field wider. You get people open. Bubble short pass. Look how smart they are, look. How smart they are. Sometimes it's like, hey man, we're really good at this. Let's
2: stick to doing this. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I I don't know, I I think, like, I look at sports in general right now, and and obviously everything's getting more analytical driven. And that's like a buzzword always that brings up a a wider range of uh, emotions and responses. I look at baseball, right? And like, they basically are like, we don't need singles anymore. Uh, We just need, we just want home runs. And if there's strikeouts, we're fine with it. We we need big hits or we're not going to put up. We're not going to put up enough runs through the course of a season, through the course of a game, through the course of a playoffs, et cetera. So you end up with this kind of really crappy baseball product where it's a lot of strikeouts and a lot of like a home run every once in a while, which is cool. Um, but the overall game to me suffers. And it it feels like to me where you had an NFL that was very run oriented, we're going to run, we're going to set up the play action. And there's certainly still a piece of that, but it also seemed like offensive coordinators were like, we got to get explosives. If we don't get explosives on offense, we are not going to be able to consistently drive down the field and go 14 plays, 80 yards time after time, after time, we're just not going to get the point production we need. So we have to generate explosives in some capacity, which to me led to obviously a lot more passing the ball, a lot more spread personnel, a lot more, you know, getting out of your, your run formations and in, in your runs and, and trying to get those big plays down the field, which of course is going to happen more often than not through the passing game. It then seems to me that the counter to that was a lot of what we saw last year, this bend, but don't break defense. You're playing a lot of cover four, two safeties over the top to make sure that you don't take away that, you know, or that you're not giving up those explosive plays that offenses are just trying to get to. I thought the, the, the chiefs were a phenomenal example of that last year, where mm-hmm. it seemed like they were going big game hunting so much and sort of got away from just the simple stuff that set up all of the the big plays. And then like, now it feels like, The teams Buffalo is a cheat code because they're ridiculous, but it feels like uh, the teams that are finding success are realizing, okay, we we have to go back to running the football and we have to ground and pound a little bit. And that will set up those explosive plays. It feels like on both sides of the ball for the Packers, it feels like, they want their dessert and they don't want to eat any of their vegetables because it doesn't seem like they want to run the ball enough to be able to set up those explosives. And it doesn't seem like they want to do the dirty work on first and second down to get into the third downs where they can actually run some of their fun stuff where they've actually had a a decent level of success outside of this game with their third and long so far. So I don't go wherever you want with that, but that's where I'm kind of at with things.
3: Uh, I, I agree with everything you said. Listen, rule changes. You, know, you can't hit the tight end going down the middle. There's a lot of things that have contributed to fantasy football, sports betting. A lot of things have contributed to kind of this offensive explosion or this need for offensive explosion. One thing that I really believe in is something that I think Coach Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins coach, said at the beginning of the year when they, when they brought in Tyreek Hill. He just said, we are desperate to get to put the ball in our best players' hands as often as possible. Right. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially you want to get the ball, whether it's Aaron Jones, whether it's Aaron Jones, whether, whether it's whether it's whether it's Christian Watson, whether it's Aaron Jones again. You know, you want to get the ball into the players hands that have the best chance to be explosive. And how you do that is kind of what determines your success right now. If we really look at the National Football League with all the rule changes, with the way you can and cannot hit players. What's an inevitability of that, Andy? Tackling's gonna be not tackling is going to be less effective. In other words, more more, there's more real estate open across the entire field because you can go across the middle can't get your head knocked off anymore. Tackling when you're not leading with your helmet, when you're when you're worried about pulling up and not hurting somebody, tackling is your the numbers should be at best even, if probably a little bit worse than they used to be. That's just a natural kind of evolution of this. And so the pendulum has swung all the way over here, and you're throwing all these passes across the middle. You're making all these plays happen. And now the pendulum's starting to swing back a little bit. One, because the offensive line play isn't what it should be. And so quarterbacks are having to get get rid of the ball a little bit faster. I mean, how many times do we talk about time in the pocket? You know, two and a half seconds to throw. Tom Brady gets rid of the ball faster than everybody else. It's such a big stat because a lot of guys are getting beat because these pass rushers are becoming supremely better than some of the the pass blockers. But the biggest thing is, how do you get the ball into people that can make other people miss? Like, how do you get the ball to Aaron Jones's hands? Because Aaron Jones is like Saquon Barkley. He's one touch away from a 40-yard gain. I think we don't appreciate that as much in the National Football League now because it's just not drawn up that way, right? It's, there's, we got to beat this one defender. If he tackles you, you tackle him for a five-yard gain. But what if you make him miss? Because the people are missing a lot. And that, that's kind of where I go with this.
2: I I don't know about you, but I feel like, and this is a totally different direction, but like, I feel sometimes like when, when there's a a run that goes nowhere or a negative run, there seems to be a lot more frustration than if there's an incomplete pass or like, you're like, you know, there's going to be incomplete passes at times. Like you sort of expect that. And I think it kind of gets, um, you know, not romanticized but like you don't think of it as a big of a negative even as like a sack like i feel like i feel like sometimes it's like all right we're passing the ball we're being aggressive and like but if you run the ball and you don't get you know four or five yards on it it's like oh, the run game's not working and if, i don't know if that like permeates itself in the actual play calling in and of itself but definitely from a fan standpoint i definitely see Fans get a lot more frustrated when you run and don't get anything than if you pass and don't get anything. And yeah. I guess I don't, I don't know where to go with that, but that that definitely seems like something that might be tangible as well.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think everybody feels it because it's a physical confrontation, unlike the other two. Right. Yeah. So if I get, if I drop a pass, if I, if the ball goes, you know, sails overhead. All these things happen. It's just kind of the normal course of events. It's like uh, it's like in the dark in the dark night when the Joker says, you know, all these all the things that are supposed to happen when they happen, we don't. It doesn't bother us, right? Right. So when you physically get beat at the line of scrimmage and Aaron Jones runs into the three technique because he got penetration on the backside B block, people get upset because that shouldn't happen. That's against the course of normal events. And when that happens, we all get frustrated. And unfortunately, what happens now is the knee jerk reaction is like. Well, that play doesn't work anymore i got beat once the play doesn't work anymore and that happens to players that happens to play callers and that happens to fans it's not just one group everybody has it it's natural human tendency to have that same adverse reaction to something going not normal um but i think it is more prevalent now be, from a patient standpoint like we lack you know humans lack patience we're worse now with social media we lack patience. If it doesn't work the first time, Hey, let's we'll go to something else. I got a big play. You've seen the size of those play sheets, man. Yeah. They're ridiculous. So.
2: Very much. So. All right. I wanted to also ask you about the the, the fourth down play at the end. You've got the RPO uh, AJ Dillon maybe has an opportunity, maybe doesn't as I forget if it was LaFleur. I think it was LaFleur who said like, it looks like a punt block uh, up front with everyone coming. Um, I know there's, you know, the, the Monday morning quarterbacks and, and everyone looks at it. And it's like, all right, let's, let's hand the ball. I think you posted on Twitter, you know, you're you're more than happy to to trust 12 in that decision. Um, what did you see on that play? What do you think would have been best and why the the trusting 12 in that scenario?
3: Well, simple, you trust 12 because he's he's proven that he's the best player, certainly on your team, if not in the league, and, and one of the greatest of all time. So uh, yeah. who am I to suggest that he's gonna do the wrong thing? You know, you live and die with you know by the sword. Brett Brett threw five interceptions against the St. Louis Rams, he said he threw 14, he didn't care. And we just kept going out there and Fox 2 all go. Like, you just – you ride with your guy. Um, when you look at that play, they've got every gap covered. But you see some opportunities for success because they have two guys coming off the backside. They're not going to be able to get to the dive if, if A.J. gets the ball. And so, really, you look at it and you have six on six. And you look at your center. Your center in particular is blocking a 235, 240-pound linebacker. He can drive him into the end zone. I think he actually does he drive him into the end he zone did, during yeah. the play. The problem is, I think if you're if you're thinking about it from my perspective, the problem is that you have Royce Newman on um, uh, our, our favorite guy over in, in New York that, over 97. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that block is at the junction point of where he's going to be able to run. And so that was a problem. But assuming Royce can get even. And again, one point I made on uh, on our show was that none of these players on the New York Giants defensive line are penetrators. This weekend, when you play against Quentin Williams and those guys, these guys penetrate like they get in a racehorse stance and they're coming forward. The Giants guys are space eaters. So all you what you're really hoping for here is at worst a stalemate. And it's like a a said in our show. If I get a stalemate, he thinks he believes in his ability, especially at a 250 pound A.J. Dillon to run through an arm tackle, run underneath an arm tackle and go ahead and get those two yards, be able to make that one cut and go. So I think from alignment's perspective and a running back's perspective, we're always going to want the chance to run the ball and prove that we can do it. We don't care if it's man on man, we feel comfortable with that. Having said that you got one-on-one outside with your number one receiver. You got to do what you got to do.
2: Yeah. no, I, I trust Rogers in that decision as well. You've got a one-on-one. I don't, I don't know that I love the the one like Lazard's pretty manned up too. And I get you're giving him a chance, but like game on the line, one-on-one Lazard with a jump ball situation. Don't necessarily love that. I know on the backside, um, I think it was Cobb that came open on the slant. If I remember correctly uh, at the same time, I know he's reading, like he's reading the right side. So he's kind of reading and looking at the receiver. So, and then he's got two guys immediately coming right at him. So I don't even know that he had the opportunity to get back left, but I'm with you. I trust Rogers in that decision-making process with the game on the line. I I read, it was either, I think one or none uh, that he had either one or zero tip passes in the entire season going into that, that final drive. And he has two back-to-back and it's like, you know, it's the NFL. What are you going to do? Sometimes crap happens. And like you said, you live or die with the sword and Rogers is your guy and just didn't work out on that play. But it is what it is. Um, you brought up Royce Newman. And there's been a lot of chatter about Royce Newman. Of course, I think he. You know, there's always going to be one offensive lineman. I feel like that has to fall on like the the sword, no matter what. But it does seem like Royce is uh, struggling a little bit right now. Dexter Lawrence, as we talked about offline, fantastic player. Had a really nice game against the Packers as well. Uh, not always, not, not necessarily a fair fight when you get Lawrence one on one with Royce Newman. Uh, but it seemed like there were some opportunities in this game for for the, you know, for the Packers to maybe pick up some explosives if Royce held up a little bit longer. And uh, yeah, just your general thoughts on where he's at and if there needs to be a change made at that position. I'm not sure about you guys, but it still catches me off guard when I walk down the water aisle at the grocery store and see these new tall boys that look like beer chilling out in the middle of the bottled water section. Of course, it's not actually beer. It's liquid death a new mountain spring water from the Alps that's available in still, sparkling, and three unique flavors. But why is it called Liquid Death, you may ask? Well, it's because Liquid Death donates 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Even better is that the use of their aluminum Tallboy cans is also helpful, as aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. Friends, bottled water has always been boring to me, but there's absolutely nothing boring about Liquid Death. I love the crisp, refreshing pop of the can when I open it, and the water simply tastes better in a can than it does out of a bottle. Add in their three unique flavors, personally, I love the lime, and the overall experience is infinitely better than any other water product. Plus, it just looks so much cooler holding a Tallboy labeled Liquid Death that looks like you're holding a crisp, refreshing beer. So do me a favor and go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee or you can find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility, at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: this was the i think that the giants defensive line is kind of the worst version of an opponent that a guy like Royce Newman can face yep. because when when you put 97 in a 3 technique cuz he you know he's he, again he's a space eater but if you say hey this is a passing situation I'm going to put you in a three technique. And all you have to do is bull rush the pocket because Aaron's going to, you know, pretty much, you know, he's pretty disciplined in his pocket movement. Now he can move around. He can certainly make plays happen, but they're right now just trying to get pressure up the middle. Royce isn't physically strong enough to be able to withhold that person for the two and a half seconds that it takes to get rid of the ball. I mean, and this isn't this, some of this is technical. He can improve. Some of this is, is um, situational and knowing maybe you need to jump set a guy here and there. But bottom line, When you get right down to it, he's going to have a 50-50 chance of getting pressure in the pocket just because he's 347 pounds and he's rushing against a guy who doesn't bench 500. Like he's just not quite there from a strength standpoint yet. He has room to develop. They put put Royce in a bad situation a number of times on the sack, for example. Like you walk the mic down in the A-gap and you have your center go out to the left where it's three on three. It makes no sense. So now Royce has to step down check the mic and now kick back out to a 347 pound bull rusher at three technique. You're setting himself, you're setting him up to fail. And you're setting a guy up to fail. That's already having kind of a rough go of it. So I, I get kind of frustrated when I see those things because we want to make it as advantageous as possible for our right guard to be our right guard as long as possible. Right. Um, I, we've talked about it before. I don't know what the answer is because I'm not in the room seeing those guys practice every day. I don't know what they look like in different positions. I think Jenkins is a better guard than he is a tackle. I think Jenkins is a better guard than Royce is. Um, You know, I wish Billy Turner was still on the team. I know you do too. (laughs) And uh, maybe Yash can move over and play. You know, the thing is, we don't, Bakhtar only played like 23 snaps. So we still don't know what that looks like, right? And it's just, there's, there's just a lot of going, Is a lot going on. And until, I guess, until he's completely healthy, I don't know if it makes sense to to switch everything up because now you just, you're creating a new problem.
2: Of all the frustrations in this game, uh, the more I marinate on it, the A-gap blitzes from the Giants in this game may have been the thing that caused me the most frustration. A, because Green Bay never really did a great job of solving it throughout the course of the game, and the Giants brought it on multiple occasions and on a couple times, either got a free rusher or got Dexter mm-hmm. Lawrence manned up in one-on-one so that he could cause havoc, and they just didn't have a good enough plan for that but B, because it just made me so much so much more frustrated that the defense isn't doing anything remotely like that to try to get free rushers to try to get some of those advantageous. Um, and I know they've gotten Kenny uh, and Rashawn matched up in some one-on-ones that they've liked. They've not done a terrible job in that regard, but man, overall, I just, I just need to see better preparedness from the offense in that situation and just more ingenuity and creativity from the defense.
3: You know, Andy, the thing that was was nuts about this game for me from the defensive standpoint was if you watch the Chicago game.
2: Oh, we're going to be on the same page here. I know. If you
3: only watch one game that the Giants played all year and it was the last game they played the Chicago game. So back up another week, they go play the Dallas Cowboys and they get their brains bashed in, right? Because Dallas Cowboys have a great defensive line. They can rush the passer and they got Daniel Jones dropping back. What do they do the next game? Run, run, run play action with rollouts, bootlegs, waggles, whatever you want to call them, keep passes, keep Daniel Jones, make him a weapon at, in the running game and you know so he has a run-pass option. You turn your back to the defense. Now when Daniel Jones turns around, he's running out to the right or to the left. He just has to throw a route tree play. Is he open? Great, I'll throw it. If he's not open, okay, I'll run it. Now all of a sudden you've taken away like the PhD he has to have in reading coverages because he's not dropping back. He has his back turned to the defense. It turns into literally – can I throw a crosser? Can I throw a drag? Can I throw a seven? It, it turns into a route tree offense that you have the option to run or pass. It just, it's like running flood routes in high school. And they did that effectively. Now, they didn't score a lot of points, but they moved the ball effectively in Chicago for the first time. Saquon had a great game, obviously. They had some good double teams inside and got the, got got moving a little bit. But they kept pressure off Daniel Jones. All of a sudden, they looked like a viable football team from an offensive standpoint. That's why Dayball is going to be the coach of the year. But from our standpoint, it's like, did you not watch the game? Did we? How could you be surprised that they were going to bootleg? Oh well, we thought his ankle was hurt. Well, what else were they going to do? Like literally, there's no other way for the Giants to beat the Packers unless you do exactly what you did against the Bears.
2: I, I, the day before, so I do a scouting report the day before here on YouTube. Like, I'll, I will go and watch the tape of the opposing team and then you know go over like some of the keys to the game. And I, I said verbatim, I'm like, I've never seen a team just go run, 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 bootleg, bootleg. They didn't, they didn't go and appear past that unless it was like a third and long, and they had to go in shotgun. And even then, a lot of times it was still a fake to Saquon, like a, at least a like a semi fake to Saquon. Like they, they they didn't go away from it at all. And I said. Like, because I thought in the first half, Chicago did a terrible job against it, had no, no real answers for it. And the second they started bringing a safety and some corners off the edge. So all of a sudden that bootleg comes and he's got somebody right in his lap waiting for him. And I said, thank, thank you, Chicago, I guess, because like you have basically just kind of given Green Bay the game plan on how to stop exactly what they want to do. Like I said, said it verbatim. Thank you, Chicago, for figuring out exactly what the Giants were doing in the first half and putting a blueprint together for Green Bay on yep. how to stop it. And what they did in the second half, and just nothing. And like that. And then to, for TJ Slayton in the post game, I take it back. This is the thing I'm most frustrated about. For TJ Slayton in the post game uh, to say something to the extent of "We didn't expect them to do that right. much bootleg, that much play action, that much rollout." It was like either a that's a woefully underprepared on un, like coaching staff or B they were prepared and they told the players, but they didn't get the message across because the players obviously weren't aware of it. So either one, not great. Not sure which one it is, but like it, it's, it, it's just, uh, I don't even know. We, said, where to go with it.
3: we, we did our preview show uh, on, on Thursday, exact same conversation. Go watch. If anybody wants to know how to you know play against the giants this weekend, commit, Eight people to the box. Commit one person to the quarterback at all times. This is how. This is effectively how you're going to be able to stop him because he he can't throw. As soon as he turns around, he, he's not going to find a guy. It's going to take him a second. This go. What you just said about T.J. Slayton's comments because they kind of went on like they they it got a little blur, but they kind of went unnoticed. Yep. This is part of the larger discussion that we had at the beginning of the, of, of this podcast, of this show. How is this like? How does that fall through the cracks? Is it is it that we're overthinking, like, it's not like these guys aren't preparing. Listen, the job of an NFL coach is so strenuous and difficult. Like they are there 20 hours a day, all day, every week, you know, every day, every week. Um, it's inefficient, but it is it's a strenuous job. I'm not going to ever suggest that they're not preparing, but this kind of stuff to either be unprepared for that and not knowing what's going to happen after watching the game or to have not communicated that well enough. And we know that they didn't communicate well enough, Andy, because they didn't do it, right? We don't. We don't bring DB pressure. We haven't brought DB pressure. They didn't bring DB pressure, and that's 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 the answer to stopping that play. That's bring Savage down the line of scrimmage. Take, I mean, it's like what again? If you're going to run a high school offense, I'm going to run a high school defense. I'm going to bring the Samsung safety off the side every time until you prove to me I can't. You you can stop it.
2: Yeah, I I, uh, I didn't want this to be like a like the same like 30 minutes, not same, but like it's another 30 minutes of like frustrations from the week. But like there's so much to dig into and there's so much to go over that it just, yeah, we, we had to do it. So I want to get a couple of quick takes from you of from around the league, some other some other things that weren't maybe great this week. I want to start with the roughing the passer penalties because. Some 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 joy joyous uh, roughing the passer penalties. Obviously, the the Tom Brady one, and then the one on what was it Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football? I forget which one. it was. Uh, Derek
3: Carr, the Derek yeah. Carr one. With, exactly.
2: Chris yeah. Chris so I don't know what to do, but like maybe you make them reviewable. But like, yeah. man, I don't know. I don't know what you do at this point.
3: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a difficult uh, situation. Um, Twenty two out of the top thirty rated television programs last year were NFL games they're making a lot of money. And the Tua tunga Violoa injury on primetime Thursday night football was the absolute, I mean, when you, hands are frozen, gets carted off. A lot of people have prime video, right? Everybody, like that was on morning talk shows. Everyone's talking about it because it was on Thursday. So it's just rolling into this weekend, right?
2: It's a great point.
3: That was the worst thing that could have happened to the roughing the passer penalty because, regardless if they had a directive from the National Football League front office or not, every single referee saw that game, and they're like, "Not on my watch." Yeah, I mean, because who wants to be associated with a guy who does or does not call that or is part of that in any you know form or fashion? Yeah, I think it's really unfortunate that they're not reviewable, and I know that that takes time, and everybody's worried about. Can we make this a three-hour game? I think in this situation, I there's just there's just seemed and I we, we could you go down the slippery slope of like well should DPI be should OPI be like what what should and should not be reviewable, but because this is very unique to the quarterback position, which is the most important position in sports, which is the most important position from a television monetary standpoint for the National Football League, I think this should be reviewable and I, and then you have to go through a list of criteria. But maybe it goes to the main office. But like the Tom Brady one, really obvious that it wasn't a, a, a roughing the passer. The Chris Jones one wasn't even like by definition isn't even roughing the passer because he has the football. So by definition, you can't even call that. You can't even you can't even throw the flag. Um, so the fact that they are not reviewable right now, I think, is a huge issue. But again, I don't. I just don't see that there's going to be like guys like you and me, old heads, are going to sit around and go. Ah, uh, you know what? I, this game has changed so much. I don't even recognize it. Blah blah blah. And then, you know, next thing we know, they've just got another, you know, two million viewers next week, and it doesn't matter.
2: Here's the thing. Maybe I'm crazy, which is definitely a possibility. I think if they review the the Tom Brady one, I don't think they overturn it. I don't think they overturn
3: it either. I agree with you, but I I, I don't think they overturn. it. I think they should, but yep, I don't totally. think they overturn it because it's Tom. Listen, I have I'm full 100% bought into and i top raised the greatest football player of all time i'm fully bought into the nfl's got some conspiracy theory stuff going with him the Tuck rule the you can't tackle people at the knees like all this stuff is for him it's all for him yeah. Peyton Manning, like peyton manning when he was re- rehabbing from his neck injury jeff Satter didn't want to hike a ball because peyton manning would was driving insane so he goes to the nfl pa and Jeff Saturday effectively gets like the Pate Manning rule, which is centers can't touch a football in the off season until like week seven or something like that. Like quarterbacks are responsible for everything that happens in this league. So I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. There's no, like the same play essentially happened to Patrick Mahomes. I would argue that Patrick Mahomes is much worse off. Worst, absolutely. Like, and, and they and they, But he's not Tom Brady, unfortunately for him.
2: Yeah, it's just, and that's the thing. Like it has to get consistent because it's not consistent. It's not called the same by every ref and, Oh, it is what it is. All right. Last one. Uh, I didn't want to get into this too much, but I feel like I got to discuss it at some point this week. I, I wanted your thoughts on the Devonte Adams situation more from like mentality on the football field. What's going through the emotions in that moment. And then, you know, what, what that um, scene is like, as you're going back into the tunnel, what was your big takeaways from that entire situation?
3: Devonte Adams is uh, completely in the wrong for putting his hands on anybody in that situation, and if he's fined, if he's suspended, I would uh, I would not be surprised, and I don't know that I would necessarily argue it if I was him. When you're in, when you're a credentialed media member, which this guy was, yep, I think he's a freelance guy, but if you're a credentialed media member and you've been on an NFL field before if you run in front of an NFL player after a loss and you get knocked over, I can't imagine that you're surprised. And, and so I would, I, I don't want to, you know, my take is that he, you know, he, he's looking for contact. My take is that, that that person is looking to file a lawsuit. My, you know, my take is you don't jump out in front of a Devonte Adams right after the game, I don't care if they won, lost, or anything. If a guy's running and you jump in front of him and you've got a metal stick in your hand, you're probably going to get knocked over. It doesn't make it right or wrong or anything. I don't care what his, you know, I don't care that it was a tough game. I don't care his his emotions because we're we might be emotional, but we're not irrational. Like most of these guys aren't irrational. Like you know, we don't we're not just going around like if if he if he was walking into him from four yards away, Devontae would just move. You, you see what I mean? Like if he was doing the exact same thing and just had a three-yard head start, and Devontae saw him, he would just get out of the way. He wouldn't be like, oh, no, this is my lane. I'm going to force you out of the way because I'm a tough guy. That's not at all what is going on here, and I think people are mischaracterizing the situation. This guy jumped in front of an NFL player. Well, if he did it on purpose or not, I'm not sure. I can't say I, was, I wasn't there. I've only seen the replay t- two or three times. But he jumped right in front of an NFL player right after a game. His head's down. He's got, he's got the stick in his hand, the whole deal, and it's just like – Oh, my natural – we are aggressive. Like, get out of my – like, you're right in my space. Get out of my space. Yep. He didn't push him hard. He could have – I mean, Devontae Adams is a strong human. He could have done a lot worse. The lawsuit and everything, it just – like, I hope this guy never gets a job again in the NFL, to be honest with you. I don't you think
2: know, that I, he probably will. Yeah. Uh, okay, I think monte's
3: wrong. It, should, it shouldn't happen. I'm not surprised it happened. It shouldn't happen. But I hope the guy never gets a job in the NFL again.
2: Yeah. So let me start with Devante. I'll say that like, there's the two angles, right? The first angle, the one that got played immediately looks so much worse. And then the second angle, you kind of see it from Devante's. And there's this guy that like runs in like right in front of him from the side in like a split second. And I think the couple things, hey, I think people forget like, he doesn't, I don't, I don't believe that he knew that this was like a credentialed media member. Like I, like this could have been somebody like some crazed fan that was coming from the stands. Like all of a sudden somebody's running at him. And like, I think there is just like an immediate reaction of like, this should not be happening. What is going, get out of my space. The thing that I will say, I'm not condoning it. I do think that like the, the two-handed push like probably looks a little bit worse if he's just kind of like, you know, kind of like holds him off or like kind of assesses the situation. I think it's a lot different. I also think if he pushes him down, if it does happen, realizes it's a credentialed media member and goes back. And I'm not like, I get the headspace. I'm not saying like, this is realistic, but if he goes back and it's like, Hey, I'm sorry. I did not realize what was happening and goes and picks it up. That probably has a little bit of a different connotation too. Go
3: ahead. I, 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 I didn't bring that point up and that's, that's prob- that's the best point that can be made is there's, there's, and for Devontae, the reason that I define and, and the possible suspension is just what you said. As soon as you knock the guy down, I don't care where you at headspace-wise, it's like, oh, he's he's carrying a boomstick or whatever, you know, whatever that thing was. Like, oh, yep. shoot, I made a mistake. Hey, man, are you all right? Yep. And he didn't do that. And that part of it, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
2: No, I agree right. from the from the credential media member standpoint, like obviously I've I've been in that position not at not in the post game tunnel or anything like that, but like on practice fields, so there's a couple that there's when the, all the players come right out of practice in a tunnel like scenario. and then there's a couple there's another door on the Hudson Center that players will come out. I will every single time that I'm even near that stuff, I am like, like quadruple checking. If I even think that like the players are going to come out of the tunnel soon, I don't want to be in that space at all because like, a I just don't want to get trampled and like B, I just don't want to be a a dick and be in the way. Like that's, that's just me. Um, and then the other thing is I can say wholeheartedly, if, if, if some, if a player, if I got in that situation and a player pushed me down and like looked over me and started talking smack or something, okay, I'm going to probably be fairly upset But if I got in the way, if I like went through the tunnel or got in the way of the door that they come out of and I got run over, I am embarrassed for myself. I'm not mad that somebody pushed me down or trampled me or whatever. That's on me. That like I I would have been the one that was embarrassed in that situation. Just that that's me. I'm not saying it has to be for everyone, but that is a million percent how I would have handled that situation is I would have been the one that was embarrassed.
3: Yeah. And it's like, how do you work in this? bit? I just don't understand how anybody can honestly work in this business and go through and just know every, like the size, the power of these guys, what's going on in the game, the pressure, the crowd noise, all these things are going on. How do you not know that this is a possibility if you walk in front of, if you dart in front of a person that you might get knocked over? So like for me, but I don't necessarily always think the best of people. Okay. Like, yep. I, and I, and we know that this is one, we've become this extremely litigious society, unfortunately, like, You know, McDonald's got sued for the coffee cup deal back, you know, back in the day, the hot coffee and burn somebody's arm like we, we, we will. We're a litigious society. So as an NFL player, as somebody who is in that position, we are always thinking like when when we're walking around, like, okay, if we do this, what are the consequences? Because somebody will sue us. Right. And unfortunately, you feel like in the NFL arena that you should be in this kind of safe place, right? And people aren't going to do that. And so my, I guess my whole point is with, with him not working in an arena or in the stadium anymore is like, if this is – I know it's a public arena, but this is kind of like – this has to be somewhat of a safe place for everybody involved, the media, the coaching staff, the referees, the players. It, this cannot turn into – I'm going to go down here and start you know, throwing, out, throwing around lawsuits because I got knocked on my backside.
2: Yeah, I could go in a lot of different directions with this as well. But the last thing I'll say is I think Rob Domovsky makes a great point as well. And that like, if media members start getting in the way of people and start doing crap like this, you know, whatever, like, they're gonna limit the access to media members. And and that that's like you might say, well, like, oh, you're just speaking that from a media standpoint. No, I'm speaking it from a fan standpoint. Like, I want the media to be able to be down there and getting these, like the NFL film stuff where you're getting amazing sound on the sideline, and you're, you know, you're getting like these incredible shots, and Evan Siegel's taking these amazing pictures of Randall Cobb dragging his toes along the sidelines and like I I want that access. I don't want it to be limited in any way. And people making, you know, poor decisions to run in front of players right before they're exiting the tunnel um, could, you know, have have an effect on that. So ideally, last thing is I would have liked, I would have liked everyone to just handle it better, right? Like I wish Devontae, Maybe he doesn't realize it, but maybe not be quite as forceful with a push, and then go and pick him up and apologize. NFL probably gives him a small fine based on that. The, the guy says, "I'm sorry, shouldn't have been in the situation in the first hand." Um, and they, you know, whatever. And it's just done and over with. Because of all the things that are going on in the world that we could be talking about that are actually like crappy, this seems like very small on the scale of things. Um, but I think if everyone just handles it a degree differently and just a tad bit better, we don't even have to talk about it in the first place. What's it? All right, that's going to do it, Mike. Any other uh, thoughts and, and where can we find your work?
3: Yeah, check me out, MikeWall68 on Twitter, process to perform on Instagram. And uh, yeah, the On My Block podcast will be out. The preview show will be out actually tomorrow or today, Friday. We'll be out today, Andy. And uh, we'll probably be talking very similar stuff uh, from a different take from our perspective from Juan Green and I. So that's uh, definitely one to look for.
2: Yeah, guys, the On My Block podcast, absolutely fantastic. I'm on green, Mike Wall, what more could you possibly ask for? If you're not checking that out as part of your daily routine, please make sure to do or your weekly routine, I should say. Please make sure to do so. Mike, thank you as always. Again, follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Wall 68 You can follow the podcast at Packer Day Podcast. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go.